Hello and welcome. Today's episode is all about scoliosis bracing. I talked to Adam Waugh, who is an orthotist who deals with scoliosis bracing, and he's a recent acquaintance, and he recently moved to Utah where he's hoping to see patients for scoliosis bracing. So conversation on this episode was really good for me. It brought to light a few things that I hadn't thought about. We also discuss a lot of things that can be helpful and tips and tricks with getting the most effectiveness out of bracing. And I think anyone who is looking at being braced or is currently braced would benefit from listening to this episode. So make sure you listen to Adam's philosophy and his his view on bracing. I think he's very passionate about bracing and that's what made me impressed with his treatment approach. And I'm excited to see the results and the patients that we have and the braces that they get and making sure that we're working as a team to get those results. So this was a great episode for me. I learned a lot, and hopefully you learned something too. So here's Adam. Hi, welcome to today's podcast. I'm sitting here with Adam Waugh. He's an orthotist who deals a lot with scoliosis patients, and he recently came to Utah, and and we got acquainted, and we're going to talk a little bit about bracing and hopefully shed some light on what goes on with bracing and some tips and tricks with that. So welcome, Adam. I'm glad you're here. Let me introduce you a little bit as far as how I got to know you. So there's uh, another orthotist named Dave Patterson that he actually moved to Utah and we talked about doing Goss braces for our patients. And then his business kind of took off and he realized that he needed to do more on the orthotics and prosthetic side with pediatrics and so we kind of wrote that off as okay Dave's not going to do our bracing but then one day out of the blue Dave contacted me and said hey I got this guy that does scoliosis braces would you be interested in meeting him and I said heck yeah we need we need good orthotists in the area so um, long story short I went to lunch with Adam we had a good conversation and and we're looking to use yeah. them to help us with our scoliosis patients, which is, which is awesome. We've been kind of limited in who we could use. So that's a little introduction, Adam. Uh, introduce yourself a little bit. Let people know who you are. Yeah, so I'm from, from Flint, Michigan area. It's a little town called Lapeer that most people wouldn't have heard of if, unless you're from that area. I had moved out to Utah about a month ago with my wife, Sarah, and my six-month-old daughter. And we are getting settled. We moved out here to join Dave specifically in his company, Goal Pediatric Orthotics. My wife was able to work remotely, so we packed up our stuff. And I had left my company in South Bend, Indiana, purely to join the Goal Pediatric Orthotics experience. He, Dave and I had worked together about eight years ago where Dave was in Houston, Texas, and I was in South Bend, Indiana. We worked for the same company, and we'd see each other few times a year and immediately when I first met him we became good friends stayed in contact frequently over the years and we started talking about a year ago as he was building his company he's kind of I'm guessing at that time he was also talking to you where he reached a point where he couldn't keep up with the referrals anymore he was there are only so many places he could be so We'd started talking and he invited me out to come visit and I fell in love with the place immediately. We went out fishing on the Strawberry Reservoir and the rest (laughs) is history. And that's what sealed the deal was the the fishing trip. 
Well, we're, we're glad that we have good fishing here to, yeah. to keep you here. So <laughs> that's the uh, approach I come from is very kind of small company feeling approach of stand by what you make and take it personal as far as the quality of the product you put out, the experience you people have with the company that's a very personal thing for me when you look at kind of google reviews you look at facebook reviews that's all a very personal experience so a big part of how i approach bracing is would i do this for a family member is this what i would do for my loved ones is are they going to appreciate this experience i've had to go through this experience myself with my mom and my dad both using bracing and that has created the experience where i've been sitting in waiting rooms going i wish we weren't here (laughs) i wish we weren't having this experience right now so being able to sympathize with kind of that background that people might have is a big part of why i like doing what i'm doing as far as my background i went to the university of michigan go blue and (laughs) i got my degree at that time in pre-med neuroscience and sociology at that point in my life, I was considering neurology or medical mm-hmm. school. And in the process of shadowing and getting experience before applying to medical school, I got to spend some time in Texas, clean Texas. Uh, I was working with kids with disabilities in a camp setting. And in that process, worked with kids with multiple missing limbs, kids with scoliosis, kids who had a loved one who had passed away from cancer, kids with diabetes, and kids with spina bifida, just the list goes on and on. Wow. And in that process, I really kind of switched paths right in my final year of undergraduate and said, I'm not doing medical school. I want to go do prosthetics and orthotics. And that required a little bit more engineering background. So I spent another year at University of Michigan, then applied for school at University of Texas Southwestern in Dallas to do their prosthetics and orthotics program and then I did residencies down there in Dallas and here I am where I focused on pediatric prosthetics and orthotics throughout my career up to this point. Well that's awesome I mean it sounds like you you knew you wanted to be in the medical field somewhere but it's cool that it sparked your interest so much and and drove you to do that so yeah that's a huge part of that background was realizing that people choose to use a brace and people choose to use a prosthesis. And it was a different approach compared to a lot of forms of medicine that I was working with where people are prescribed something and it's just that you have to take it. Now you're going to take that pill daily or you're going to do this. And realizing that there are a lot of people out there who are amputees who are deciding not to use a prosthesis. It is more of a burden on their life to use a prosthesis than to not use it's just realizing the choice that people have was the exciting part for me is that if done properly I hope that people will choose to use a scoliosis brace or they'll choose to use a a brace for foot drop as an easy example it's one of the most common diagnoses out there for Mm -hmm. people where if you go to the grocery store today you will probably see somebody with foot drop or some knee hyperextension on one side In the process of walking through the grocery store, if you were to ask that person if they have a brace, the answer is probably yes. And for them, it was more of a burden to put it on in that moment and go to the grocery store than it was to just go without it. 
And that's kind of the mm. complex part that I really find interesting uh, about the human psyche, about what we can provide to people. They have to understand the benefit, but we also have to be able to put, make it easier and better for their life that they're willing to use it. It's funny you say that because yesterday, yesterday I think I was at a store and I noticed someone with a steppage gate and and you know I I bet he probably had an AFO that he wasn't he wasn't wearing. I've actually never really thought about that side of it with foot drop and things like that. We know that that happens with scoliosis bracing. You know that's yeah. a that's a choice and and that's a hard thing to really figure out how to motivate them to wear that. But I didn't really think about that as much with other orthotics and prosthetics. Yeah. So that that's really fascinating to me. Yeah, it's a really complicated process for each person to decide that day and that moment, do I put it on or do I just go about without it? Because it is a lot of work. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, and sometimes it's not comfortable, scoliosis braces specifically, you know. Yeah. It's not comfortable. And so they do have to make that choice every day to to do that. If you're on a heart medication and you're going to die without the heart medication, you have less of a choice. You still have a choice. But, yeah. You know, there's, so that's an interesting difference. That's really cool. So what was your first experience with scoliosis in, in, that, in that path that you went on? Uh, it was really when I was in Dallas, Texas. At, I was at Texas Scottish Rite Children's Hospital. They did a lot of the scoliosis research that's out there. They've been involved with um, working in a clinic setting as a resident was very fascinating because that hospital specifically works on making a lot of the bracing in-house independently. That means that the technicians are heating up the plastic and forming the brace. The As the clinician, we are using CAD CAM to shape the brace and modify it. As And you're also doing the measurements and the scanning. With that, the experience I had was seeing all the different layers that go into creating single brace. And then the part where I really got interested in it then was when we would make a brace that was perfect, you would have perfect correction. And then we would also, at that point, we were working on research to measure usage. You'd have a person come in with the perfect brace and they couldn't wear it. It was too uncomfortable to wear. So then we had to rethink, all right, if we're applying too much pressure and it's not wearable, how beneficial is that brace? So it's not perfect, it's Mm -hmm. garbage. It just sits on a shelf. And finding that give and take between the patient experience and the quality of our construction, because a lot of, you really have to be humble about how much correction you can provide without going too far and making it a burden to somebody's life. Yeah, because you could get the spine straight, but at what cost? And and would they actually wear it? Yeah, you know that's that that is a bit of give and take. That's where the art comes in, right? Yeah, the, how much to do and how much to be okay with sacrificing or giving up. Yeah, and then at that time also, I'm, I'll kind of dive into the perspective I take is you've got a lot of times you're working with a 10 year old or 11 year old who is likely for the first time making big decisions about their dressing about their parents aren't checking which clothes they're wearing at that age you're also trying to figure out your identity and you're a lot of times sampling different identities Mm -hmm. in middle school 
And with that, there's a lot of complexity to now all of a sudden you've had this rapid growth spurt, you're 10 years old, you think you're, you define yourself in some different way this week than you did last week, and you don't want your parents involved in that conversation and that decision making. And now all of a sudden we discover scoliosis. You're one shoulder sitting higher than the other or something like that. And then bracing is brought up. And it's one of the most difficult times in a lot of people's lives is that moment they realize there's no escaping that conversation. All of a sudden now you have x-rays and a whole experience that I really find fascinating because as an orthotist, there are a lot of ways that we can make that experience better for mm. each patient. It's There are ways to be respectful and to offer privacy and to be open in a way that they can ask questions because at that time there's just so much fear and you, I see it daily with the parents I'm working with with the kids I'm working with there's just a lot of fear I really enjoy that part is being able to be a stabilizing source of if not comfort education in a way that can help with guiding them in their decision making I think that's Invaluable because you're right, there's a lot of fear associated with is my kid going to need surgery? Are they going to wear the brace? How's this going to affect their body image? You know, all those things, and having someone to help guide them through that as they're braced, I think is, is very important. I've known quite a few orthotists over the years, and I think some are better at that than others. And I think your personality is, is helpful where you can, you can talk to those patients in a, in a good way. Yeah. So I think that's going to be very valuable for our patients. I'm I'm really excited about the opportunity, too, because in South Bend, Indiana, we had a great team of people I worked with also. In Texas, there were great teams. But having that true kind of person-to-person interaction between all of the specialists results in such good outcomes for patients. So working closely with you as a physical therapist really helps make our job easier while working with the physicians and the physicians having that trust of what we're doing. And if we make a brace that is unsuccessful, that we'll remake it and we will find a way for the brace to be successful. Those are difference makers in the overall experience. And the end result is we will be able to prevent people from having surgery. We with our work together, we will decrease the amount of surgeries and overall pain that people experience for the rest of their life. And that is a fantastic opportunity for us. Yeah, I think that's having a more of a multidisciplinary approach is, is huge. And I think that's something that we haven't had as much in, in Utah. And I'm really excited to get that, that approach a little bit more. Cause when you were in Texas, you had quite a bit of a an experience with multidisciplinary treatment, correct? Yeah, it was very fascinating. We'd have a yeah. physical therapist that would easily be able to say, hey, this one's not working. This brace isn't, they're not using it. Yeah. And then it was great to have that input because I could have had a meeting with that family and they say, oh, everything's good. Brace <laughs> is fine. Right. We're using it all the time. And in that process, yeah. you realize people in the process of using the brace will find a reason to make their life as easy as possible. And sometimes that could mean two weeks that they don't wear the brace because they're on vacation or it's Christmas break or 
having that team-based approach though, there's more opportunities to see how it's actually being used in daily life where a patient may tell you things that are different than what they tell me. Yeah, and I, and I think having two eyes on the situation, if not three, if we can get the surgeons involved as well, I mean, it just creates better outcomes. So in Texas, it was like that. How is it in Indiana? In Indiana, it was, uh, we created some great teams there. When I first arrived there, though, there was not a good situation in place. There, there was no benefit to doing Schroth physical therapy. So physical, physical therapists that I worked with in northern Indiana were not Schroth certified. Mm-hmm. They could do some stretching, but it really wound up being more cumbersome for their certifications to go to those classes. Mm-hmm. A lot of them chose not to because there's overall just a shortage of physical therapists. So they were losing money by choosing to do the Schroth method, or they were losing opportunity by doing Schroth method, mm-hmm. which was difficult. With that, the patients I would were I would have a referral and I would say, consider physical therapy. And then the next question is, well, where should I go? And that (laughs) opened up a whole range of different options, which is just not ideal. We don't have that. We didn't have that kind of direct pathway that made sense for patients. That was unfortunate. And then as far as the bracing I was doing, at times we had a lot of people who would just never return. They would get their brace and then I wouldn't see them again which really was unfortunate. Yeah. And we had physicians that may not have believed in doing embrace x-rays and doing a follow-up approach. So hmm. even if we contact that family, if they don't show up again, we have no idea how that brace is working. And that became really eye-opening and a little bit difficult for hmm. me because I want to do the best work possible. And there's truly no way to do that without consistent feedback with the orthodontist, with yeah. a team. Well, and you put a lot of effort into making the brace and making it something that they'll wear. And then, I mean, it's kind of like when I do an evaluation with someone with scoliosis and they drop off for some reason and I and I don't know what happened to them. It's like, well, we had a plan and we, we were ready to go with this and then what happened? So, yeah. yeah a I lot totally of times people that. think we take it personally where it's not a personal experience. It's... There's a lot of gray area of making the brace corrective enough and making it mm-hmm. comfortable enough. And then there's the emotional side of why you would or would not wear the brace. So yeah. for the patients, I try to emphasize that this isn't personal. I want to I want to know that what I've provided is working for you. I wonder if sometimes if patients and parents are worried that they're going to offend us, you know, worried that if, say for a brace... They're like, oh, it's uncomfortable. They don't want to tell you that. Yeah. Do you think that's the case? I think so. I think, yeah. and that's also with everything going on in their lives, I feel like parents a lot of times will also have that same type of approach of, I don't want the orthotist to know that we're not using it. Right. Because mm-hmm. swim practice takes two hours and therefore we're not yeah. using the brace. And to ignore that conversation is easier than yeah. addressing it head on. Well, and I think sometimes they feel some guilt for that. Like, they feel like I should be having them do that. But it's it's a struggle. There's a lot of dynamics with parents and kids. And, yeah, that that's a tough one. Yeah. You don't just do scoliosis braces. Correct. I mean, you, you do other things as well. But what made you interested in this passionate about scoliosis correction? 
I love the kind of nuance embracing. There are so many different options that are out there. There's a lot of kind of the, there's a very artistic side of scoliosis treatment mm -hmm. as far as bracing. And it's exciting to see how much progress we've made in the last 50 years to be where we're at. At this point, objectively, there is a great deal of research that shows the benefits of bracing. There's a great deal of research that shows the benefits of physical therapy. And together, they both make each other better. Hmm. That is one of the most interesting things to me because there's... On the engineering side, I like to have raw data as far I want to see... Mm -hmm. If we treat this many people, how many successful outcomes can we expect with proper treatment? And then beyond that, what sort of things do we do to fine-tune treatment to increase successful outcomes? At first, I was in, really interested in the artistic side and then the objective approach to how successful the outcomes were. Now today, I'm more interested in the human-to-human -human perspective on it, that experience, because as much as we can do as far as objective measurements, it's still a very subjective approach to it where people choosing not to make a, not to wear their brace is the number one issue we face. It's constant. Does that answer the question? Yeah. yeah I that, went off on a tangent. No, I think, I think that answers the question. I think it's, it's interesting that, like you said, you kind of have an engineering background. I think you have less of an engineering background than a lot of orthotists right. that I, that I meet. And it's interesting that a lot of times the problem in engineering is something that's very quantifiable and objective and data-driven. In scoliosis bracing, the main struggle that we have isn't necessarily if the brace is a good brace or not, it's compliance. If that's the issue, then we have to become creative in how we address that issue, which, which isn't necessarily objective data. It's yeah. you know, going specifically with that kid and trying to figure out how we do that and so yeah I, I think it's definitely a different scenario yeah. with that on the engineering side though i will emphasize that i also i geek out over plastic <laughs> thicknesses different yeah. modalities there's so many different ways to achieve the outcome and when i look at all of the bracing that exists today and that continues to almost every year there's a new type of brace that is coming out mm -hmm. And it's all somebody's ingenuity to create a way to rotate the spine into the position that allows it to grow in a straighter pathway versus no bracing at all. Yeah. So there's now so many different options to do that where I really do appreciate that side. And I get excited about mm -hmm. what's available and what's coming in our future when it comes down to just like the thickness of plastic, that's such a big choice that is oftentimes skipped over or yeah. left to a passive conversation with the manufacturers or whomever where a, a really thick brace that doesn't allow you to move is likely not going to be used. Yeah. So I do geek out over that stuff quite a bit. I think that's a great thing to geek yeah. out. So you do have the engineer in you. Yeah. It's just uh, you also see the other side of yeah. things, which is great. So tell us the process, say I see someone who needs a brace and I refer them to you to get the brace or a surgeon, you know, someone has progressed to the point of needing a brace and they refer to you. Take us from there. What happens with that? So 
We'll go with if you refer, okay? Yeah. So I know at that point that x-rays exist. We know how the shape of the spine is. If I have that information, I always tell families, if they're able, take a picture of it on your phone. Mm -hmm. I don't need to have a disc with an x-ray on it to get the data that I need. I can use that same picture and create what I need to see the rotation, the sad, as many modifications as I need to make, I can make with that photo. What I do then is I will, after they've seen you for evaluation, that's the best case scenario because now Mm -hmm. at that point you've given them some preliminary exercises to do Mm -hmm. that allows them to create some correction in their spine, meaning they're positioning themselves in a better position Hmm. before I ever go and scan. When they come and see me, what we'll use is either a light scanner or a diff- there are multiple different types of scanners, but a mm-hmm. scanner that allows us to get the shape of the body. And if they're able to get some of that correction that you've taught them while scanning, that creates mm-hmm. a better brace for me. That's interesting. I didn't know that, that you would have them do some correction in the scan. In that scan, yeah. So it's not just a fully relaxed scan necessarily. Right. So that good information for me that after we teach them that, maybe reinforce that before they go and see you. Yeah. Okay. This is the ideal situation because if we can get that correction with the scan, then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. there's a lot less work as far as rotating in a CAD CAM model. There's a lot Mm -hmm. less uh, ambiguity about what we're creating. Mm -hmm. It is now, we are capturing that in that scan and then we are going to increase it and modify it slightly. When I say modify it, what we often do in computer-aided design is you go in and you rotate and twist segments of the body. You create the shape that you want that torso to sit in when they're not using, hmm. when they're not thinking about it. Hmm. Then the physical therapy approach helps a lot because through a big part of that day, they now have to think about how they're positioning. So we want them to continue doing their exercises. We want them to be conscious of their posture, but inevitably they're going to get tired. They're going to be distracted. And then that kind of resumes back into a position that it's not ideal. And that brace is then going to step up in those moments and guide that posture back to where it needs to be. Perfect. So that's the ideal situation. This is almost never how it happens um the ideal situation though is that they are planning on doing physical therapy we get some of that correction i do a scan and then i do measurements of the whole body and what that means is circumference measurements up and down the torso some length measurements from the they call it the trochanter it's from your femur all the way up to your armpits and in that process That's probably the most uncomfortable part. There's a lot of different bracing approaches. That's what I found is kind of the necessary component to make a good brace. Beyond that, there's the Rigo Chanot approach. There's a lot of different bracing types that use different languages to communicate those same, I feel, same results. It's just using a different language to address it. So, um, What I've also found is that some of the bracing types require a lot of evaluation that I feel is unnecessary Hmm. personally to make a good brace. I don't like to take a 
family that is very nervous, a scared 10-year-old girl who has no idea what she's getting into, doing an appointment where we then go and do photos and put them in positions where they're not comfortable as far as we can get that information with a scan. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that is the minimum required to get the outcomes we need and the measurements. Beyond that, I try to keep it to a minimum for me as an orthotist of we don't need all these photos of you decompensated to the right. Mm -hmm. And we don't need these photos to create a brace, Mm. in my opinion. So before they would have pictures that like they're leaning side to side and forward and back and and things like that. So you can see mobility of the spine and and things like that. But I mean, before we had the ability to scan the spine, uh, you know, casting and things like that were done. And, and that's, unfortunately, that's all we had at that time. But now we have so much more that shouldn't really be being done as much now, right? As an orthotist, I feel it's just a extra layer for physicians. I think more of that is necessary. Hmm. And I will definitely can't speak to their treatment approach and same with physical therapists. There's a lot more that's necessary than what is necessary for me to make a good brace in that process. Mm -hmm. I am going to do testing to see how mobile Mm -hmm. we are and how much correction we can get with just moderate pressures. But beyond that, I just try to keep it as professional as possible and Mm -hmm. That's good. And I think patients appreciate that. Yeah. You know, it's, I have a lot of older patients that talk about their bracing experience when they were young, when it was the Milwaukee brace or whatever it was and, and how uncomfortable that was and traumatizing. Yeah. And so the, the more we can limit that, the better the compliance goes with wearing yeah. the brace and the less trauma we create for like future Creating future less trauma. Things. That's a big goal. Yeah. The, there was a good retrospective study. I think it was by Boston. I forget who did it. They did a retrospective survey of people who had used a TLSO for scoliosis treatment and asked, what was your least favorite part about it? Have you, did you ever need surgery? Do you have pain daily? Did you have children? All these questions like that. And the number one complaint about the TLSO was the heat that Mm -hmm. it produced and the amount of padding that was in them. So one of the approaches I've taken is in the process of trying to decrease trauma, it's getting rid of as much padding as I can, where we still have corrective pads, but Mm -hmm. the rest of it's just going to be plastic. Mm -hmm. And then with that, you then create a brace that it's easy to clean. So you don't have to worry about your brace smelling as a 12-year-old at gym class. Uh, yeah, that's You can concern. use an alcohol wipe and clean it off without too mm-hmm. much headache. Um, and then with that, it makes it a lot cooler overall. So you're not sitting there sweating all day. And I tell people, get a bunch of shirts, use a bunch of... Use what options are available. Because I remember the trauma of being a kid and smelling midday at school and having to go through the rest of the school day knowing Mm -hmm. I smell kind of bad after gym class Mm -hmm. that experience I hope other people don't have to go through but with that having some backup shirts and stuff like that it's all about mitigating that trauma and creating good experiences (laughs) where you don't have to worry as much about this creating a permanent imprint on your brain of the worst day ever in middle school or right that type of thing yeah the less we can have that associated with bad experiences the 
the better the compliance too. So they're scanned for the brace. You decide which, what type of brace you're going to do and thickness and, and other things. So how long does it take for them to get the brace? It's, that's complicated. Usually making the brace takes about two to three weeks. So two to three weeks, and we have a very high-quality brace that we still have to fit. So that fitting process will usually take about an hour. Hmm. Um, what we experienced quite a bit in Indiana was the prior authorization process would delay hmm. fitting. and that's Or if the whole healthcare team is not on board, meaning we can't get a signature from the physicians that are in support of it or... If we're not all working together where we have the paperwork in place, then we run into a lot of hmm. headaches in the process of getting prior authorizations if they're required. So hmm. that sometimes can slow the process down a little bit, but we aim for three to four weeks. As far and as... that's consistent. We can get three to four complete. weeks of TLSO on. Awesome. And then they wear that. You have them ramp up their time in the brace. Yep. Then do they see you again after a little while or what? how does that go? Yeah, the ideal situation is they wear it for... They build into wearing it. They wean into it for about two weeks. After that two-week period, I ideally get an X-ray in-brace. So they will, that allows us to see that that pressure that we think we're applying is actually contacting the right locations. There are little sensors and pieces that we put in the brace to monitor this so we can see exactly, all right, we're contacting exactly where we intended, or if I am one vertebra off, all of a sudden, now we can see why it hurts <laughs> or why it's uncomfortable to sleep in. Yeah. And those are the things that can be easily figured out once we have that embrace, embrace mm -hmm. x-ray after two weeks. Then at that point, I would see them typically every three to six months mm -hmm. or big growth spurts. Um, and that's a key part of successful bracing is the we make a perfect brace that contacts everywhere that it should, but we're trying to hit a moving target in the way that <laughs> you're growing rapidly. So we need yeah. to, if it fits perfectly on day one, there's a good chance that six months later, you're going to have a big growth spurt and we have to do some adjusting. Um, with plastics, I think that's pretty easy to do. There's mm. a lot of... Yeah. We just heat the material up, bump out for hip bones or whatever is necessary. Yeah, that's that's good to know. So if someone's listening to this podcast and they're not doing follow-ups with their orthotist, they probably should look into doing that. Yeah, if you haven't <laughs> seen your orthotist in six months, you definitely should get yeah. back over there and okay, that's good to follow know. up. So what, what are some tips and tricks that you would tell people who are braced to get the most effectiveness out of the brace? biggest thing I find is map out your day. Just day to day, plan on the time that you're going to wake up, the time that you're going to go to bed, the time that you're going to school, and do it for each day individually. Don't do it as a general, uh, you're budgeting your time to get the number of hours prescribed. So if you know you have gym class at a certain time, or if you know you have sports at a certain time, that should never come as a surprise and a reason why you didn't get the number of hours necessary. If you map out your time, then you can plan for, okay, after gym class, I've got 10 minutes to cool off, and then I'm going to put the brace back on going to the next classes, and I'll wear it all the way until 7 o'clock when I have practice. Those are the types of things that lead to getting the hours necessary. The 
there was a fascinating study that I got to be involved in where they tested how how much people thought they wear their brace versus how much they actually wear it. And it came back way different. People would mm-hmm. typically record, report that they had 16 to 18 hours of wear. And we were often finding that when reporting 16 to 18 hours of wear, they would usually get about 12. So they're coming short about four hours or more. Yeah. And that's the, I think the biggest tip I have is if you map your day out and you stick to those plans, you can be more successful in wearing the brace the number of hours. Well, because if you're going to wear it, you might as well wear it enough to be effective. Yeah. And at 12.1 hours, they've shown that it just drops off dramatically. So assuming you're in a good brace and you're wearing it, assuming you also have a full-time bracing schedule, Mm-hmm. If you're wearing it less than 12.1 hours, then the effectiveness quickly drops off. Mm-hmm. Um, where aiming to get those extra hours oftentimes feels kind of like you're working excessively hard to wear it, and it's very difficult, and we understand that. But you have to get more than that 12.1 hours, and you should ideally be aiming for 16 to 18 at a minimum of actual in-time brace. So the moral to that isn't if you're wearing it 12 or less to stop wearing it, the moral is yeah. to get more more time than that. And that's where I've had, I've even seen prescriptions where once that research came out, I would have prescriptions that would say 12.1 hours of wear was the recommended wearing time. And I wanted to interject and be like, whoa, you're thinking about it completely wrong. Yeah. That's the, people thought they were wearing it 18 hours and they got it for 12, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if we say 12, they're going to wear it 8. Yep. And, and yeah. So that's that's a struggle. So And then just having your whole having open communication with your team I think is a key mm-hmm. where it's very easy for you get tired of bracing, it becomes a frustrating your there's so many layers to it where just communicate, communicate to your physical mm-hmm. therapist, communicate to your orthotist, communicate to the physician about how you're doing with it. And we know that you're going to have some off days, but the bigger picture is we want to be there to support you and your successful outcome. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean you stop completely because you had an off day. Let's not let the off day turn into an off week. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Being open in that communication so we can know what's going on. Because that will help all of us in the team. I mean, it's good for me to know that Mm -hmm. that is happening and I can communicate that to you. Or you can communicate yeah. to me that someone's not doing their exercises. I mean, all, all that stuff. And that's, I recently spending some time with you, I saw mm-hmm. a patient that showed up who has a brace and they mm-hmm. didn't, they came from school to your appointment and they weren't wearing their brace and they said mm-hmm. they just forgot. And I thought right. that's probably a, a same experience where if they came to my office, that brace would be on and they would tell me that they're wearing it every day. So those are the types of communications that I, as an orthotist, go, man, I wish that orthotist, whoever made her brace, I wish they knew that -hmm. she was showing up to physical therapy, not wearing it. And she likely didn't wear it to school that whole day. So that's good for me to know, to give you feedback on, on brace wear and if they're bringing it to the therapy. Well, cool. Any other specific advice that you'd give someone who's diagnosed with scoliosis? Maybe... Maybe someone that's not even braced or, you know, where would you go with that? I would be careful with the internet. (laughs) There's a lot of bad information out there and it is very scary 
once you start seeing all the layers of bad information that's available about scoliosis. If you were diagnosed with scoliosis, I think step one is whoever discovered it first setting up a team, trying to find a physical therapist in your area to work with, try to find a physician that listens to you and try to find an orthodist that listens to you. You have to create a team around you that allows you to be successful using that brace. Um, if a bracing is even your yeah. reasonable for you. There's a lot of people with scoliosis that may never need bracing. There's a large amount that will. But unless you have a team that's actually looking for it and deciding whether or not to brace, you don't really know. Well, and it sounds like sometimes you need to build that team around you. Hopefully what we're doing here, you know, me getting to know you and you getting to know me and us getting to know the surgeons, hopefully we build a team around our patients. But yeah. sometimes... You know, like, like your experience in Indiana, it may be something that the patient needs to drive that a little bit more. Yeah. Hopefully that's not the case, but unfortunately yeah. they probably might need to do that. Because at the end of the day, it just makes it easier for all of us to communicate, too. If the patient's driving it more, it creates more successful outcomes for them. Yeah. Usually at the point that we're driving it heavily, it's already us pushing it where we want them to be making that decision. Right. To, to take that active role in their treatment, which leads to more successful outcomes. Okay, cool. So if someone's interested in getting a brace from you uh, or working with you or contacting you for, for any reason, how do they do that? So contact my team here in Salt Lake City, Goal Pediatric Orthotics. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. We work with a lot of the insurances in the Salt Lake City area. We can create payment plans, whatever it takes for proper bracing the key part for success is I would hope that you would also commit to a long-term approach as far as consistently following up and making sure that whatever we provide is working mm -hmm. and hold me accountable because it's not a personal attack on me if the brace isn't working there's so many times that it could be better, and I want to know those opportunities to create a great outcome. So contact our team, get scheduled. What we would likely do is have you come to our office in the Cottonwood Heights area of Salt Lake mm -hmm. City, and we would do a scan, do all of the measurements. At the same time, we would be working to create and compile all the information to create a good bracing plan for you. Good. And if someone is in this area and they contact you, they can know that we're working on that multidisciplinary team to, to yeah. make sure that we get the best outcomes possible. So it's fantastic. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Adam, for being here. Thanks for the information. I think this is really helpful. Yeah. Thanks for having me.